Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another brand new group of professionals who are ready to open up and get real with us. And today we're talking about anxiety. Now, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults. That is nearly 20% of the population every single year. And it's common for someone with an anxiety disorder to also suffer from depression. But despite such huge numbers, only 36% of those suffering actually received treatment. That is a shocking figure. Millions of people are suffering in silence every day. And the potential impact on individuals and communities is massive, leading many to say that the current mental health crisis is a ticking time bomb. So with the likelihood that multiple people around you at work and at home are suffering, perhaps you're even suffering yourself. So it's important that we talk about it. We learn how to better support anyone that needs our help. So welcome to the show, Suchi, Isabella, and Angela, who are going to share their experiences and advice with us today. I appreciate you all for joining us. So let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? I'm going to start with you, Suchi. Hi, I'm Suchi Ramesh. I am founder and CEO of uh, Suchi Inc. And uh, The Grid is a multi-product platform. So I'll start with that, um, and then I'll go backwards and talk a little bit about myself. Uh, so we uh, are the, the a great combination of PLM and ERP, and we fill up the gaps of our supply chain operations across the technology stack that the industry collides ignore. So it's a pretty big undertaking, but you know we're uh, we're doing it, we're enjoying it. It's excruciating, but it's it's also lovely. And um, I, in terms of me, I identify by she, her. I'm a proud Indian American. Uh, I'm also an, an immigrant, so. Um, I wear that fiercely and proudly. Um, I look at, you know, it's a cliche, but Suji Inc. is my first baby, but I also have a human baby that's two years old. And so that uh, has been quite phenomenal and uh, and interesting in its own ways as Suji Inc. has scaled. Uh, so, so yes, that's uh, that's about me for now. And, you know, I look forward to hearing more about the other ladies' stories and, and exchanging more information. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, we've known each other for a few years, but now we're really going to get to know each other in this conversation. So I appreciate you for being here. Isabella, you're up next. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Super excited to be here. My name is Isabella Richards, and I live in Massachusetts with my husband and my cat. And for my day job, I work as a product marketer for the IBM Power product marketing team at IBM, where I support um, our AIX operating solution, um, Oracle, and also the enterprise AI story for power. And I'm also on the board of the Blended Pledge and support the Blended Pledge from a marketing perspective. And it's been really um, a great adventure so far and loving working with everybody. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I identify as a woman. And a fun fact about me, um, outside of work, I'm a yoga teacher. And yoga is actually something that's really helped me with anxiety and finding ways to overcome it. So excited to share that with you all today. 
Yes, I can't wait. I've only just recently started some yoga and then I put it on pause because I'm playing baseball right now, but I totally get it. And I can't wait to hear about how that has helped you. And you're doing some amazing things on the pledge. So thank you for being here and uh, for all your all the work you're doing on the pledge. Angela, welcome to the show. Tell us who you are, what you do and how you identify. Thank you for having me, Sarah. My name is Angela Chikowski. I work for Hartman Executive Advisors, where I am the industry lead for manufacturing, distribution, retail, and logistics. Uh, Hartman Advisors, we are an independent IT strategic advisory firm. And then I also have the great fortune of also working with you, Sarah and Isabella, on the board of advisors for the Blended Pledge, which is a really exciting um, initiative and opportunity. I, outside of work, I am a middle-aged Caucasian. I identify as a woman and I am a working mom. Uh, she, her are my pronouns. I love to travel when I can find the time. And I admire those of you who have found yoga as a way of dealing with anxiety and, and sort of the mental health component of yoga. I, it did not offer me the same, but I certainly uh, wish that it had. I am, I find my outlets tend to be more in the realm of sports so Sarah, ah. I can appreciate that it's baseball season for you right now. I spend as much time as I can outside being active, doing, you know, right. fun, adventurous things. I love that. Well, we can't wait to learn more about you. And we're going to be talking about this because it's important, right? What works for one person doesn't necessarily work for another person, but we got to remember that it's okay. And so last but not least, my name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, founder and host of Let's Talk Supply Chain, Blended Podcast, and then founder of The Blended Pledge. I am just outside of Toronto. I've got fur babies. I've got bonus children. I'm a stepmama. And fun fact about me, I take singing lessons, but don't ask me to sing. Anyways, let's get into the conversation. Let's talk about what anxiety actually is. So what does anxiety mean to each one of you? Who wants to start? Angela, you want to start us off? I, I am happy to start us off. It's funny. I, there's so many misconceptions, I think, around what anxiety really is. And the, the easiest way that I would personally describe it, and maybe this is my own experience with it, is it's the jumping to the worst possible conclusion mm -hmm. pretty consistently and staying there. So I think it's there is a level of, for me, the irrationality around that, but but staying in a space of worst case scenario. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Isabella? I would say that anxiety to me really, um, I think of fear, you know, and fear of the unknown and anxiety can come up when um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen next. So I definitely think I use the word fear to describe it. And Suchi? Yeah, no, I love that. And I've I tried to educate myself a lot on how to how to reason with what I'm feeling. And I think there are two sort of ends of the continuum. There could be good anxiety and bad. I look at good anxiety as um, there's this flow diagram by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. For folks who know me at work, they I reference that a lot. It's like when your skill level is below your challenge level, that's one type of anxiety but that means you're growing. That's good anxiety. But then to Angela and, and Isabella's points, where you have this irrational worst case scenario and panic, that's bad anxiety, right? So I, I think those are the two types and some anxiety can be good. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> as long as you could separate the two, which often we can't. 
<laughs> no, I love that you shared that. So for me, anxiety is sheer panic. Like I go into panic attack mode, the ringing in my ears, my hands go all sweaty, my heart starts racing, and I feel like I'm going to faint. And it's at that moment that I am having a full on panic attack. And so for me, just to share with everybody, anxiety looks very different, right? Um, I've had panic attacks on stage and have like talked myself through it, gotten through it in front of about 200 people, <laughs> 200 people, 250 people. And we'll talk a little bit more about how I've done that um, in the past. But it's sheer, sheer, sheer panic. And it's because I fainted when I was 21. I don't know what happened. I was outside and I was safe. I was with people that I knew and I fainted. And ever since then, my panic attacks have, as soon as I panic and I feel like I'm going to faint, that's a full-on panic attack for me. And so for anxiety, like when I talk about anxiety, anxiety for me is an all-encompassing body experience. And it happens to some people, right? Some people's level of anxiety, you will get to a panic attack. Sometimes you can talk yourself out of it. Sometimes you can actually sit through it, get through it, understand where it's coming from and just sort of move on. But there's all sorts of tools, resources and things that I'm going to talk about a little bit later that come with that. But I wanted to share with all of you what anxiety really means to me, because it's important that we talk about the individual experience. And what it is that you experience, whether it's body, whether it's mind, whether it's, you know, whatever that looks like, but we'll get into that. So do you think that there is a disconnect between what people think it is versus what it actually is? And I think this is probably the appropriate moment to talk about the stigma around anxiety. You know, with the stats that I shared at the beginning of this episode, it really you know, shows you how many people are dealing with anxiety on a variety of levels on a on a day-to-day -day basis. And yet still, we think about it as a negative thing. And I think it's mostly ourselves thinking about it when we're going through it, that it's a negative thing. It's not other people necessarily putting, on our, putting it on us. So anyways, I'm going to leave that there and let you guys jump in on the conversation. Well, I think it's interesting that Maybe it's as a generation or slowly there has been a transformation in how willing we all are to share the struggle yeah. so that I think it really just takes one person in a conversation to say, I went through this really hard thing and I was in this mental place. So it's talking about those inner feelings that we are, I think, breaking that part down. So we're more comfortable in a group of people saying, I had a really hard thing happen and I struggled to get through it and that was okay. And I'm confident enough to tell you about that. And then other people hear it and identify with it. Even just, just this, this conversation, this podcast, mm -hmm. I think it's really remarkable that we're finally having that dialogue. We're all willing to just share our experiences, which should make it easier for others entering the conversation. Yeah. And breaking that intergenerational trauma, right? They talk about the conversations where we can break the break what's come down generationally. Sometimes it's around food and body image. Sometimes it's around mental health anxiety and the importance of being able to talk about it and being like, you're having a panic attack right now? That's okay. Just tell me what you need and I'll do it. Rather than, oh, don't talk about that. I don't want to know. Go and deal with it yourself. 
right? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one that <laughs> I've dealt with that in the past. Isabella? Yeah, definitely. I think there is a huge stigma around anxiety um, in the sense that we all relate to it differently and has as how we were saying at the beginning, when we were all sharing our own definition, it can be very hard sometimes, excuse me, to resonate with someone um, and what type of anxiety they're having. For example, if, you know, maybe I get nervous before um, I have to have uncomfortable conversations and you're, you have panic attacks, it might be hard to be able to resonate with the other person. So I think the more we share to your point, Angela, the better it is to be more understanding so we can help eliminate that stigma. And so how do you feel about yourself when you're going through anxiety? I feel like now I've cultivated the level of awareness to know, you know, that's that voice coming in and um, I need to really trust in the process and look at the facts versus then kind of tell myself that story. That's what I think a lot about with anxiety. You'll tell yourself this story of what's happening. But um, in the past, I, I would feel really bad about myself that almost that I was having anxiety because I wasn't prepared. So I've tried to combat that by being more aware, being more prepared. Um, and being able to look at it from that holistic view than than feeling bad, you know, for for how I'm feeling, because I know that anxiety a lot of times is a reaction of what's going on. Um, so I try to have control over that. Thank you so much for for sharing that. the The word that comes to my mind when I think about anxiety is weak. Like throughout my whole life, like every time I had one, it made it worse. When I thought of the word weak, because I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to faint in front of all these people. <laughs> and then it's all over. <laughs> Suchi, do you want to jump in here? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think those two questions, both of which um, I, I think just they're just great questions because it's yeah, we don't. Uh, I I will admit I struggle with talking about it, even to myself. Mm -hmm. And I haven't really thought about why. Uh, and this is a great forum to do that. It's almost like a therapy session, I guess, in many ways. I've been told that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> one, I I come at it from a different lens because entrepreneurship, one, venture back companies, you're holding it together for your team. Um, and so anxiety just becomes a state of being over an extended period of time, you know. And and so that could be a very different thing in and of its own because it's just varying levels of it and uh, separating yourself and stopping and asking what this is and how to treat that. I don't believe that I've even stopped to reflect because it just become like a, a, a state of being. And one way of looking at it is you develop a muscle to start to rationalize it and deal with it better. Uh, but you also don't step back and, and ask the questions that you're asking right now. Um, and, and I think more forums like this are great. I don't, as much as I interact with a whole bunch of people every day, um, I don't get to do this. I probably haven't ever had a chance to do this. So I think it's very important for more of us, um, you know, uh, just just women leaders and then also uh, entrepreneurs. We're all entrepreneurs in our own way, whether it's uh, scale up. So within companies to get together and talk about it and destigmatize it. Uh, and so, yeah, but I, I will say that you know, uh, speaking for entrepreneurship, I think a lot more entrepreneurs should do this. And uh, if I had a wish list, I would just say more for women founders that are scaling up from scratch, right? Selfishly uh, thinking about other entrepreneurs uh, in the same place. Uh, so I think this is phenomenal what, what you're doing, getting us together, and we need more of this. 
Yeah. And just sort of talking about it. One of the things that came up for me when you were just talking, Suchi, is cortisol. So um, I found out about five years ago that my cortisol was completely in the dumps. And I brought my cortisol up and it changed all sorts of things for me, um, including some of my anxiety. Now, over the last few months, I felt the same way that I did five years ago, and I knew it was my cortisol. And so as entrepreneurs, as founders, we need to make sure that obviously, biologically, that we are functioning at the levels that we need to function at that you're talking about, right? And a lot of people will look at a leader or owner of a company and be like, oh, no, you're not allowed to be like that. You can't do that. Or we put that pressure on ourselves. And so when we talk about these kinds of things, you know, looking at cortisol levels, making sure that we're not in that state of fight or flight every single day, because it's not healthy for us, it's not healthy for them. And so one of the things that I will share um, is to go and check cortisol levels, um, <clears throat> get your cortisol, cortisol levels back up. And that actually does help with anxiety. Or a glass of whiskey. <laughs> But no, your, yours, yours is a better idea. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, enablers may help. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> we want long-term solutions, right? <laughs> so let's talk about the physical symptoms of anxiety. What do you all experience? So I talked about my panic attacks, like literally sweating um, I know for me that anxiety comes about when I'm really, really tired, when I get really, really hot and I'm already sweating. I know that sounds really odd. But the one time I was on the stage, it was a glass ceiling and sun was coming in. And so it made the whole thing just like I felt like it was 110 degrees in this particular area. And it was one of the things that triggered my panic attacks. And so when we talk about physical symptoms, um, I'm, I'm actually reading a book about hyper, I think it's, oh no, highly sensitive people. Um, and there's a, there's a variety of things that, that, um, bring, that are brought in to make you a highly sensitive person. Um, but one of the things that they talk about is social anxiety disorder. And so to put it into context, if you were at a conference and at four o'clock in the afternoon, you were completely, completely done and you needed to go back to the hotel room and needed to sleep. That could potentially be a symptom of social anxiety disorder. And so when we talk about uh, physical things that come up when it comes around anxiety, it's about being aware. So you don't need to know everything in that moment. I've been dealing with this for 20 years, right? But it's about becoming aware of what happens to you in certain situations and how you feel after something. And instead of being like, you need to man up and buckle up and get your butt over to that happy hour and then the party and then the party and then the party after the conference. Because if you don't, right, what's going to happen? But you get in your head like this is what I have to do. And then we ignore the signs of anxiety or panic or things like that. So what are some of the physical symptoms that um, you've experienced? And what does anxiety look like for you specifically? Angela, I'm going to start with you. So I would say for me, it's there's very little physical. So to hear your story here, Sarah, is, is you know, it, how different our physical responses can be, you know, you get sort of that pit of your stomach feeling a lot. That for me is, is, is one of the 
present effects, but there is nothing else physically that really gets me. For me, it's the the mental runaway train that sometimes doesn't stop. So it's even when you reach worst case scenario, Mm -hmm. sometimes your brain just finds a worst, worst case scenario. So then you, you keep going. And I think there's this mental runaway train that, and it can strike for me. It's, it could be at any time, but it was really when, when I would say that maybe I recognized it was happening was at night. So if anything, were to wake me up and then something were to come into my brain, that would be the ignition of the runaway anxiety mental train that was about to go. And they're really, uh, to your point about being aware, it's what's the end, what stops it. And I think until I became aware that that was what was happening, that was what was going to do it. I didn't know that it was a symptom of anxiety that could be triggered by any number of things or nothing at all. So I think controlling it wasn't talking myself through it. It was really finding ways of, you know, what is it that's going to, for me, at least pause the train itself. The most immediate need was stop the train. Well, and I think also being aware that that was a symptom of anxiety. Like a lot of people wake up in the middle of the night and then they start thinking about things and then they try to write it down and they try to go back to bed, you know, and you're not really thinking too much of it. But I think it's, you know, how often it happens, what's happening around the moment or, you know, maybe before or during that day that it's happened that you're waking up. Like, I think it's the awareness of that actually being a symptom of anxiety. Like, how did you figure that out? You know, I I think it wasn't until I started engaging in conversations with a lot of other people in my social circle Mm -hmm. who were talking about challenges they were experiencing, who's whose experiences, whose symptoms, whose triggers were all very different than mine, that it made me think, maybe this isn't just me being very prepared and and on the ball and proactive and, you know, all of that. I thought maybe this is actually a symptom of something a little different that's underlying the conversation, the diet, whatever it is. And that caused me to explore and have more conversations. And I think that's where we talked earlier about the stigma is the more we talk about it, the more we understand our own interactions with it. And I think we can all find the right kind of help or the right ways of addressing it for our circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. I remember playing volleyball once and it was those fluorescent lights. The the fluorescent lights gave me a panic attack. I was in the middle of a volleyball game and I was like, guys, I need to go sit down. And it was literally just the lights. And it was every time I went into that one particular gym the lights. And I can't really wear glasses while playing volleyball because I feel like the amount of times I've been hit by a volleyball in my face, I'm going to break them. So I stopped playing volleyball, but sometimes it could just be triggered by the lighting in the room. And for me, putting glasses on when it's not the right lighting works, works really well for me. Yeah. So it's like little things like that. That's why I'm asking you guys, you know, what are those physical symptoms? How did you figure out that you had anxiety and what did that look like for you? Isabella? So I definitely resonate, Angela, with what you said about in the middle of the night, because I think that that's so true. When your mind isn't occupied, that's when things can start, you know, ruminating and you can start kind of telling yourself that story and go down that path. But for me, it's it's been mostly mental, you know, just realizing, oh, I'm I'm starting to 
think more negative thoughts than positive ones, especially if there's something coming up that I haven't done before. I know I'm getting out of my comfort zone. Um, but I think when I first realized I had had anxiety was when I was in my late teens and I just would, I remember I would constantly be, you know, texting my friends the same types of questions or, you know, around college application time, like, what if I don't get in or, you know, what if this happens? And that's when I started to realize, but I would just notice I was so busy focusing on those anxious thoughts that I wouldn't have an appetite or I wouldn't want to, you know, do some of my hobbies. It was almost like a lack of interest because I was just hyper fixating on whatever I was anxious about. Wow. That's really interesting. And it's also interesting now too, like we all wear, you know, watches that, and we have our heartbeat monitors and things like that. I don't know if you guys look at it, but when you're in an anxious state, you can always look at your, if you're wearing one of those, you can look at your watch and it'll give you an idea as to where you are from a, you know, heartbeat perspective and an anxiety perspective. Cause sometimes I've looked at it especially before going on stage and it's like 115 (laughs) and I'm like, okay, time to call, try to calm myself down. (laughs) Suchi. You know, I, it's, um, it's, I was, I'm a little bit of a late bloomer, I guess, so far as even understanding how to, how to uh, figure out my signs. I, I wish I'd stopped to think about that before because I could have helped myself, but for a long time, it was like it was like Angela. I, I, Angela, I wouldn't. Um, it was more and less physical and more in my head. And then, I, and then over time, recently, I've stopped to notice the physical signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my first thing was, um, I'm I'm a little bit of a robot in many ways. I'm <laughs> I'm um, in that the way I function um, is very black and white for good or bad. Um, but when I can't think. Uh, when, because I'm dealing with so many decisions at the same time, when I can't get to a decision mode or when I can't solution to through something and my head is in a maze, that is my first sign where I cannot think rationally. Mm-hmm. And it makes me very uncomfortable and frustrated when I'm in that mode. I, I don't know how to deal with myself when I'm there. And it's a very frustrating place to be. But also physically, ever since I've had my daughter, when I can't be in the moment with her, um, that's a that's a terrible thing, and and I know that's my sign of anxiety because I I I'm very deliberate. Of, I I want to be very intentional about giving her all of myself in in the, the the time zones, you know, the time periods I'm with her, but also lack of appetite, like Isabella said. Um, you know, I uh, I I noticed right away where uh, after a long day, where you know I'm always really hungry, and if I if I don't have that, I know right away that there's something on my mind. Sleep. Um, I actually love my eight hours at least to sleep. And most days I get that. Sometimes I'll go eight and a half hours and people were like, I go on five, six and ice baths. I'm like, that's not, that shit's not for me. I need a warm bath. I need eight plus hours. So when I don't get, even when I get a little less than eight, I know that I'm in an anxious state, but I'm a late bloomer that way, right? The physical signs have had to stop. And it's more recently that I've stopped to observe it. And be less of a robot. Can I just acknowledge you for that? Because you say that you're a late bloomer. But let me tell you, like, it is a journey. It's not a destination. And your physical symptoms will change over time. And so the fact that you have actually, and I'm not saying this as a doctor, I do not know everything about anxiety. I just know my path and my journey. And I know that things have changed for me over time. Um, But 
And so when you say that you've noticed it and you understand the physical symptoms, even the two that you've just described, I mean, that is sign of celebration, right? Because a lot of times we'll ignore it. A lot of people will ignore it. They won't even think that that's a sign. And so for you to be able to be aware of that and talk about it, but still think you're a late bloomer, let me tell you, you're not. Yeah. I'll tell you one other very funny anxiety symptom I have. Most people turn to having alcohol when they're stressed. I love my glass of whiskey where I take a sip and I thank God for my existence. But when I'm anxious, I can't even stand to be like 20 feet in front of my favorite, you know, bottle, right? Because for me, it's a state of happiness where I celebrate. I guess that's a good thing because you don't want to drown <laughs> in, in alcohol. But but that's for me, another symptom is um, if I'm in a in an extended period of anxiety, I can't socially drink because I can't enjoy myself. But, you know, anyway, it's about knowing yourself and, and observing those things. Sushi, I want to interact with something you just said, which was you, you used the phrase a, a couple of statements ago of solutioning through something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that people who are, to your point, entrepreneurs, who are, you know, driven people think I can solution through this. So I don't yeah. need to talk about it or seek help or right. whatever it is. It's I can solution through it because we yeah. can, we are problem solvers. We can fix things. We know how to get to the right answers. And I, I do think that's such an, I really, I, that resonated with me, that statement of solutioning through. Yeah. Oh, yes. And I think that's, pro- it's also a problem. It's a great thing when you can, because that's how you, that's how you, you have to, right? You can victim through situations, but that could also be a double-edged sword because if you start to think that you have to, which is really, I, you know, how I've been for a long period of time, you stopped, you stopped to you you can't you don't acknowledge and hence you don't help yourself right um and i still find it very tough forget acknowledging it in a group i find it very difficult to acknowledge anxiety to myself and uh, i've realized that's not a good thing so uh at least you know recently right i would just like power through it mm-hmm. um and i think that's another conversation we need to have is uh is maybe that's that, that there's most days where it's good, but you you also don't want to take it to extremes where you want a solution through everything. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about that. Isabella, what do you think about what Suchi just said? Yeah, I, de- I definitely um, understand that in the sense of, you know, not wanting to recognize it in yourself. Um, it is easier to push it away and just think, you know, well, I thought through every case, I don't need to talk about it to someone or I don't need to, you know, take time for me. But um, I think it's so much easier to resonate with someone else that might be talking about their experience or like right now we're having so much compassion for each other sharing their stories, but not when we're sharing our own. And we need to have that same level of compassion and understanding with ourselves so we can take the time that we need. So we do have the energy later on to do what we want to. That was so well said. And I think also too, right, I go back to the awareness of what it is about ourselves. What are the triggers? You know, what does that look like? Who do we become in that moment? What do we need? And how do we communicate that to those around us? So we're talking about not not only anxiety and the triggers and how we, you know, handle it ourselves, 
But what about when we're in a workplace? What about with our family? You know, what does that look like? Are we communicating with them? What do we need to do? How have they expressed to us that, you know, maybe they want to help, but they don't know how? What does that look like? Angela? Gosh, that's so interesting because it's funny to be on either the the receiving end of help or the offering end of help, Isabella, to your point, when we want to show that compassion is, do we, how often do we even take that look in the mirror and say, when you have this need, I am, I'm here to show you compassion and to be the ear, to be the solution partner, to be whatever it is that you need. And yet when those tables turn and it's, let's say it is a, a family situation, it's communicating out what are my needs. It's, it, it is, I think, really challenging. I say, I struggle to take doses of my own medicine consistently, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that showing myself the same compassion that I'm, I'm showing to others is very challenging, I think for me, uh, and, you know, in terms of kind of communicating out needs and, and, and expressing that to those around it, I think it's taken me a long time again, to acknowledge it, that it's present or it is what this is, what it is. But I also think that it, it really depends for me circumstantially on how it creeps up and what that help or support might look like. Mm-hmm. And when I allow myself, I, I give myself the grace to ask for whatever it is that I'm going to need because of, you know, look, I need this because to your point earlier, Sarah, I have to, at, at 4 p.m., my brain needs this time. I admire people who can acknowledge what it is their, that their body, their minds need, and they know how to ask for it. And I think that circumstantially for me is, as I discover that, I think I'm learning every day, but I don't know that there's a clear answer for, for me in, in, in how I engage. Well, and we take it for ourselves. So we take the power back instead of the obligation of where we need to be. So if we think about it a little bit differently, right? Like I know at the end, not for me necessarily, this is just an example. I know at the end of a conference from four till five o'clock in order for me to go and do what I need to do in the evening, I need to go back and I need to watch TV, let my mind rest, or I need to go and just go to sleep. Or maybe it's, I need to go and work out because I just need to get whatever this is out because I have some sort of social anxiety, right? And that'll set me up for success in the evening. And so obligation is, no, I've got to stay there till the end of the day. And then I've got to show up myself for happy hour or whatever it is. And I've got to show up for dinner. I've got to show up for that party. I've got to go and see that client. That's obligation after obligation after obligation after obligation. So it's it's about, you know, taking a look at it, communicating. No, you know what? I need this hour. So I'm going to take this hour. And I'm going to take the power back so I can do what I need to do. So then I can be there 100% for who I need to be in the evening. It's just an example, right? So thinking about it a little bit differently, because I think too much time, anxiety is around obligation. (laughs) Obligation to family, obligation to work, obligation to our business, right? There's so much anxiety that comes around the obligation that we have been so-called taught that we need to live up to. Right. So an example for me in the workplace is when I was struggling with panic attacks throughout my 20s, um, I would go into my mom's office and I would say, I need you to stop what you're doing. I just need you to talk to me. 20 minutes, just talk to me. And then I was fine. And then I could go out to the floor and I could do what I needed to do. Right. And the same thing happened on the ball field last uh, last summer. I had a panic attack on the ball field. I sat down and I said to my brother-in-law, I said, I need you to just sit with me. I need you to talk to me. 
I was crying. Like I had tears coming out of my, my face. Cause baseball is my one place where I don't feel like that. Right. And so I was upset at myself. I was upset at the fact that this was happening, but he just talked me through it. And he was like, you know, you're good. He talked to me about his son. He talked to me about different things. The captain came up and he was like, is everything okay? I was like, yep, I will come and see you afterwards. And after the game, we had the best conversation around anxiety. And he has an Asian background where they don't talk about this very often. And he was able to talk to me about my experience with anxiety. And he was able to talk through some of the stuff that, and so it opened up the conversation. And this is where we need to be a little bit vulnerable with the right people, right? Obviously it has to be the right people, but this is the power of conversation. This is the power of, listen, I'm having a moment need to take this, I'll talk to you about it in a little bit, and then just be honest about it, right? So that's just an example that I wanted to share of how I worked through it on a team and then also in the workplace as well. What's so interesting, and this is going to take us you know, back to an earlier part of our conversation, and I'm, I'm sitting here finding myself having this thought that I just have to share, but it's also part of the, let's say, the problem is that, Sarah, I've known you for years. I have seen you on stages and videos and hosting and writing and just excelling and thriving. So if you would have asked me, you know, somebody who's who's gotten to know you very well, panic attacks, especially in, in those environments, I would think, oh, she's a natural. She's at home. She's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. How challenging is it to, to be vulnerable enough to share that this is something that I excel at also has a really hard component to it? Mm-hmm. That, that I think is, I, I admire that so deeply, but I, and I also think that the fact that my mind went to the first time you shared this with me, I thought, how, because I had, you know, there was this thought that, you know, these boxes existed. So I really just, I, I think that this is so important that you're sharing it because it's such a dissociation of what people ha- think this misconception Yeah. That's why I was so excited about this episode because I wanted you to all share, but it also gives me an opportunity to share my story because I don't get to talk about it a lot. I do. I am very vocal about it. Like I will do a thoughts and coffee. I did a thoughts and coffee last year and I had a panic attack for the whole thing. I literally pressed the end button and I was on the floor in tears. So when you like, probably 30%, 40% of the time that you see me in a variety of different uh, scenarios. I've either had a panic attack. I'm in the middle of a panic attack, but you won't know because I've had a lot of time. I have a lot of resources. I've done a lot of work on myself and things like that, that I can, like Suchi said, power through, which is good in some instances, but I know at the end of it that I need a moment. And this is what my moment's going to be. And it's going to be off camera and most people aren't going to see it. But my team's seen it. I don't hide it from my team. So anyways, does anybody else want to share? Please. Oh, no, that's, uh, that, I, I think that's that's great. I like what Angela said about boxes. And so you and I said, I've known each other a long time, but we've always seen each other in these pockets, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I just love hearing that about another um, entrepreneur, because it's um, you get it right. Uh, you you totally get it, and and for me, one thing that's helped me is like what you said about reaching out to people that you could trust. 
I know we all we I know we talk about needing to share, right? And I'll tell you one of my struggles with sharing is part of it is being authentic to who I am. I don't want to force myself to share, right? So there's one of these two extremes where we hold it in, mm-hmm. but then we also have this environment where now it's just become okay to share, but maybe it's not comfortable for everybody to overshare. Like that also puts me in a place that's not authentic to who I am. And then I also feel I have a response. And part of it is I feel like I have a responsibility to uh, being, you know, companies at scale. I mean, six and a half years old is not a startup, but it's still relatively young as a company, right? And so I feel a sense of responsibility to sort of the the buddies in the foxhole with me that have gone along the way. And, and I feel a sense of responsibility to hold it together for them. But I do have, um, I'm very lucky to have, um, an entrepreneur in my partner. He's and you know he's great. My my sis and my mom. She's been in one job all her life, uh, which is the exact opposite of entrepreneurship. You know, she's been a teacher for forty years, um, and I do talk to them. So it's I think it's also maybe the perspective I can add is it's okay for people like me that are are, are a little bit I, I guess for the lack of a better word not as emotive or not as comfortable sharing. But it's about, to your point, finding those few people that you can share with so you could still be authentic to who you are as a person, right? Like for me, mm-hmm. if I were to share, I would just, you know, sharing to a lot of people, this is for me, maybe the first time I've done this. Even this feels a little bit out of my comfort zone, which is good. But I couldn't do this all the time, even if I was panicking, right? Because that would maybe put me in a different kind of panic because it's not, I don't know if that makes sense, right? It makes I'm just complete saying there's sense. like these two different extremes and you just have to find a way to outlet based on who you are as a person. Well, and I think there's also time and place for everything. Like yeah, I don't true. go on to every single one of my shows or, you know, share on stage. Oh, it's happening, people. <laughs> you know, I need some compassion right now. Um, I don't do that, but there's a time and place for everything. So this particular episode allows me to be able to share some of that. And I think it's also how we show up in how we're sharing. If we are very, um, if we're empowered to share the story because we know the impact that we can make by sharing and how we can help somebody that's a very different mindset than going into a conversation and being like, I, you know, I'm a complete, you know, failure, you know, because this is happening to me. And so it depends how we show up in that conversation too, because that also, um, you know, can put off a vibe that means that you're oversharing or that the conversation is going to be a little bit awkward. It's going to be awkward for you, for them, because of the mindset that may be going into the conversation and talking about these things, right? So just something yeah. that I'm throwing out there. Yeah. No, that's true, right? That mindset of am I helping somebody else, right? That's mm-hmm. that is that is very true. Yeah. Well, even now, right? Talking to the three of you has been helpful. So which is which is thanks to all of you sharing. Thank you. And I've I've been told a number of times that this is a therapy session, <laughs> which is great, right? That's what this is all about. It's about sharing and being open. And I usually cry on every single one of these episodes. I'm just warning you, it hasn't happened yet, but it might happen in about 20 minutes. Isabella, what do you think? 
Yeah, sharing is so important. I think to your point about what you said um, about sharing to have an impact. I think that if we can help others cultivate that their mindset and share, and then the more you hear it from those people that you might never think have a run-in with anxiety, like Angel was saying about you, um, Sarah. So I think that it's so important to be able to share your story. So if anything, you might encourage someone else to share theirs. And then we can talk about it more comfortably in the workplace and in the different relationships of our life. Because I think to our point earlier, talking about a stigma, everybody has their own relationship with anxiety and their own um, way that they deal with it. So the more that we can hear about others and how they deal with it, that's how we can help end that stigma and just make it more a part of our life versus than a taboo. So how do you think that we can support others um, in providing maybe a safe space at work or letting people know that you're a safe space, right? Because a lot of times I don't know whether you're going to take that information and you're going to use it against me or, you know, you're going to take that and be compassionate about me and or for me and then help me in the future. And so when it comes to workplaces, how can we better support each other as colleagues or maybe teammates, right? Maybe, you know, it's um, a team leader and their team, you know, how do we best support each other in a work environment when it comes to anxiety? Well, I definitely think too, at, in some of the great managers I've had, you know, um, just in the way that they've shared their own experiences. So I'm talking about the sharing, but also just um, resonating with the team by saying things like, you know, I know this might be d- d- challenging. And I know I'm thinking about during the pandemic, um, it, a job I was working at, and my manager did a really good job of saying, you know, people might have anxieties, people might be scared about, you know, one, the pandemic, but two, your job, and what does that mean for your role, and having to work remote if you never did, so I think just by um, speaking up about it, you know, you can't, you can't really let it be one of those things that's left unsaid, but, but by saying, you know, I am a resource as a person, as, you know, a coach, I think that that's so important to just communicate. Yeah, I think that's that was so- really well said, Isabella. I think that if you can say, you can set the stage, it, it, maybe it's even repeatedly. If anyone, you know, I'm here, I am a person, and you can kind of declare it. And for me, Sushi, you've really opened my eyes to something as well in terms of my style of leadership is very much about, I, I, I agree with you. I want to bring my authentic self to it. And I am in a place where I am very comfortable sharing my journey, you know, and sort of where I started and how I have gotten to where I am in terms of dealing with some of those, those feelings and circumstances, the anxiety, et cetera. But that comes very naturally to me and is something that, that's incorporated into my leadership style is the vulnerability, the empathy, the, you know, but what you shared about as an entrepreneur, the obligation you feel or the the responsibility you feel to, to very much give the that, 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 um, I can't remember how you described it. I apologize, but that, that sort of component and that confidence from your staff, it's, there is, there, there are so many ways that each one of us can be showing up for the people around us at work, the people who, you know, we, we engage with every day. And in some cases, I would say even the ones who, with whom we don't work, you know, we can be a safe space for somebody who's not necessarily in our sphere because we are outside of that. But to create that space there, if you're going, how do we, you know, carry the banner of, I get this, I understand, I hear you, and I'm a place where you can come. I can, we can only do it so proactively for, you know, for, for those of us who, who are, are ready to. Yeah. Well, and Isabella brought up some really good points about how, 
she felt when the leader came to them and said, listen, you might be feeling this, you might be feeling that, you might be feeling this or might be feeling that, that is okay, right? Just normalizing it, right? You don't even need to say, I'm feeling it too. You just need to say, you know, this is the way people are feeling at the moment. I get it. And it's okay. And maybe end there. Like you don't even really need to go into too much. But these are the kind of things from on a regular basis as leaders, right, with teams um, that because even during the pandemic, like I would reach out to um, the director level, you know, leaders of, of big teams and things like that. And I would reach out to them and say, hey, how are you doing? Because they are taking care of so many people around them, so many emotions, so many conversations. And, you know, they're not necessarily being asked, right, from the bottom up or maybe even the top down. And they're kind of in the middle helping everybody else. And so who's looking out for them? And so I think it's also important for us as leaders just to reach out every once in a while and say, hey, how are you doing today? And then them knowing that you're a safe space for them too. If they want to, you know, vent, if they want to have a conversation, just wanted to check up on you. Suchi? Yeah, no, I was reflecting on that. I agree. And it's, uh, I, I probably, if I were to be honest with myself and ask if a lot of team members are going to come to me and talk about things, I got to do a better job of, um, you know, of, of explicitly okaying those kind of things. I think you're so in, in motion on the bigger battles to to fight that these things become an afterthought which they shouldn't be uh but you know i had had someone tell us recently tell me recently because you know we have a great team and i have our, our you know our direct c-level team and then they have their teams and one of the the c-level folks said we should have a mental health day and i i gotta admit you know with all the other fires to put out i probably didn't give that much thought but allowing, and I'm being, I'm being honest, right? You know, yeah. this, even when he recommended it to me, um, he was, he, you know, obviously we have a relationship where we all know each other well by now, kind of laughed a little bit. Not not because, you know, we don't think it's important, but because there's, you know, there, there's more of the uh, existential um, items to focus on. But, you know, I think those are just as important, if not more. And it's also about building a personality uh, you know, different pieces of the puzzle set personality-wise along the C-suite or people that manage bigger teams. So they are empowered to make their own decisions on items like this that matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say that that's one thing we've done. If there's one thing we've done well, it's that, is that we're all very different where we can hold one another accountable to enforcing the kind of things that matter beyond just the metrics, Right. Uh, which gets me thinking I should go back and revisit that piece. Not that that's the solution to everything, uh, but implement something like that, which is, you know, which is a lot of what you guys said about uh, about making sure that people feel that safe zone, whether they want to talk about it or not, to just say, I need some time off. Mm-hmm. And that the company honors that when I just want to say, hey, I, I just need some time off, whether it's a half a day or a full day. I need some mental, you know, I just need this for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And I, you know what, I'm so glad that you shared that, right? Because at the end of the day, some of these suggestions are made and I know yeah. as well as you, you do, you know, as an entrepreneur, like I'm working seven days a week, you know, and I do take, I make sure to take opportunities for self-care for myself. Yeah. I, that's something that has been uh, non-negotiable for me, you know, for a very long time. Um, but I also make sure that I have um, appointments around it. <laughs> so like I'll go for a massage and then I'll have a whole afternoon of appointments. So it's kind of futile, Defeats right? Purpose, it didn't yeah. do what it needed to do. <laughs> and so I, I totally get it. And when somebody comes, you're like, you know, can we do it? Can't we do it? Do we have the resources? But I think yeah. it brings up a really good point. Like how can workplaces, because it's one thing we've talked about leadership. We've talked about the ownership of ourselves. And I think we'll get into some resources for our, ourselves and how they've helped us and what people can look into. So we've talked about ourselves. We've talked about the responsibility of leaders. But what about the responsibility of the workplace in general? Is it really up to HR? I don't know. I think it's up to all the leaders in the organizations. I think, Suchi, you're talking about everybody being on the same page and holding each other accountable, which is really, really important. But what should a workplace do to be able to support, you know, anxiety? Is there workshops? Is there more communication? Do we need to talk a little bit more about what's happening with the company? Like, what do we want to see from a workplace if we are, you know, suffering from some of that anxiety or the anxiety is being triggered for whatever reason, we've talked about safe space, but maybe there's something else that we need to do from a workplace standpoint. What do you think, Isabella? I agree. I think that we have to be there for our peers and, you know, a lot of things come from the top down, but we can't just rely on you know, HR or company trainings, we have to be the culture and be the examples that we want to see. And I think that within your teams or projects, or I know like um, in my organization, we have women women's groups where we can get together and do coffee mm -hmm. chats and talk about these things. So I think that being um, a voice in, in trying to make an impact where you are, you know, is it, are you noticing something? Are you seeing as someone that might be under a lot of stress or pressure and can you reach out to them and offer, you know, Hey, I'm here for you. Or, um, you know, if there's change happening in the organization. So I think trying to lead by example in that way and, you know, by offering an ear for someone that might need that support, hopefully they, they will be able to do that, um, back and, you know, continue passing that forward. Well, I think ongoing training too, like sharing of resources, like like this podcast or having a speaker come in and talk about LGBTQIA plus or, you know, transgender and transitioning or, you know, like the difficult topics that maybe somebody in your organization is struggling with does not feel comfortable to talk about it, but maybe some training happens. It opens up dialogue within the company. They feel more confident to talk about it or maybe, you know, come out to, to people which lowers their anxiety because they're not trying to live a life that's not their authentic self as well. And so I'll just throw that in. Angela? So it's funny, as, as Isabella, as you were talking in terms of how organizations can, can, can hear us and can support those around, I think the soft side of support is so important. But also I think there are just certain, maybe it's fundamental or or. I don't know, infrastructure items that it makes it really challenging for someone who's going through this. And I would say that each of us, as I, you know, think about the four of us, we have a different 
sort of trigger. We have different uh, results, different symptoms, different everything. So our needs, of course, would then be different. But I remember I had a person in my network previously who was communicating to me about some anxiety she was experiencing and she was trying to seek help. And so she, you know, talking, talk therapy was really her, her goal. Mm -hmm. And in terms of looking at her, her personal health care, her, her insurance, and then, okay, who is considered in network and then, okay, who is taking new patients? Okay. And who can see me outside of traditional working hours because telehealth wasn't a thing then. And it was, the list was so short. And so then it was, okay, I can go Wednesdays at either 7 a.m. or I can go at 2.45. So if I don't take a lunch, I can get them the help that I need. You know, so it's, think about those trade-offs in terms of just having access to to mental health, um, whether it's therapy and counseling or whether it's more medical in nature, certainly not an expert, but I just think that there are things that we as leaders and organizations must consider. I don't know that there's a one-size-fits-all answer, and I don't know what that solution necessarily looks like, but creating that space for people to get the right kind of support and help they need is a huge challenge. Um, and I, I, yeah, I just think that's, that's a, that's something we have to overcome. And I think it takes time and it takes development and, and there is no, there's no one right answer. But think about what you just said and the example that you gave. Think about the anxiety levels that somebody would have gone through to go through that process. Most people wouldn't do that on their own. Most people wouldn't have somebody like you to help them navigate through that. And then when it came down to the 7 a.m. or 2.45 and them not being able to take a lunch so that they could have time for themselves that day, they wouldn't go through with it. Right. So I, 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 I'm going to give this other example. So when I was looking, my mom kept encouraging me to sign up for uh, Toastmasters. And this was back in like rotary dial day. No, I'm just kidding. But you had to pick up the phone and call them to register or whatever. <laughs> I think. I don't even know if they had a website. Maybe they did. Who knows? But anytime I tried to go and physically do it, I would get so freaked out. It wouldn't happen. So freaked out. Palms sweaty. Nope, not going to do this. But I bring this example up, like talking about your example, is that you got her through every single step to the end. But people are going to stop every single milestone, every single point on the way, depending on the, their level of anxiety and how difficult it is. So how do we make it easier for people to have access to talk therapy as one of the resources that can be provided to somebody? And maybe, like you said, maybe there's it's a lot easier because there's telehealth and different options or companies that you can partner with that can offer a certain amount of time to your teams on the phone or whatever, but also recognizing that having to do it at five o'clock in the afternoon in your car, driving home from work, if you're still going into the office, is not an, also not an ideal to be able to do talk therapy. So maybe they need that hour for lunch or half an hour for lunch, and then maybe they need an extra 30 minutes once a week. You know, what is that really, if we think about it? Angela? Well, and I think it, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's... <laughs> We understand that we must be flexible. It, this is treating mental health as something as simple as I have a doctor's appointment. 
mm-hmm. no explanation needed. You know, that is something that you work, you work around it. You, we, mm-hmm. we are understanding and we don't look at mental health any different than any other form of, of, of medical support. Yep. I had a team member come to me. Um, I think it was noon. We had a call at two o'clock and they were like, I'm really triggered today. Today is such and such for me. And I need to reschedule our call and I'm taking the rest of the afternoon off. They're a freelancer, but still, you know, it was just like, okay, do what you need to do. Reschedule to Thursday. And I admire that people want to show up as the best version of themselves for things. So when you want to bring your best and you know that you are not going to be at that level mm-hmm. for a mental health reason, it's, you know, when you acknowledge that yeah. about yourself and that I need to not be here, I think that there is, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. I'm sure for, for that person to have, have called you with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. So there's grace on both sides, right? And it's navigating. Nobody's going to get it right right? Things are going to change. This is the journey. This is the other thing. We get so obsessed with like, I need to know this and I need to know my triggers and I need to be able to do this and I need to be able to communicate this and da 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 But nobody's going to get it right every single time. But we also have to know that we're all learning not only about ourselves, but about other people. We're learning about our triggers, their triggers. There's so many things that we have to consider and think about, but we also need to give grace so that, you know, I might say the wrong thing or, you know, I might not realize that I have a trigger for six months and then be like, oh, oh, that's what that was. Okay. <laughs> you know, and then do better as we move forward. So um, anyways, just my thoughts. What do you think, Suchi, about uh, some resources and things? I mean, you're going to implement a mental health day. So I think we have a win already on this episode. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, resource, so so to go back to that point, we've actually been genuinely actually, jokes apart, thinking a lot about that, because instead of when you and us met, we were in one location, about close to 200 people, and and quite, you know, most more than half of that was on a factory floor, because we used to run and operate our own factory at one point, before we took the tech and became purely a software firm, but we've gone from being in one place Everybody driving in, all under one roof, almost 200, to now being across five countries, five states in the U.S. So it's a it's while going into the office every day had you know that nobody no one's going to agree to that anymore. I, you know I think companies that are forcing people to do that, uh, forcing forcing that is just the world's not there anymore. But the other extreme is its own conundrum, um, and we've had folks say. Just, you know, where, where you're not even meeting people you work with, you never met them, and you don't have a support system that you could talk to. It it does, uh, it gets, it can get lonely, right? You're working nonstop in different time zones. Yeah. Uh, so we're actively looking to educate ourselves on how we could do uh, do better than that. So um, I will report back on resources on yeah. uh, what we could do on, on a healthier workplace, especially one that's just spread out across the world. But I will recommend this one book for anyone uh, that's helped me. Um, and it's not a new book. It's some something that's been on my bookshelf for a long time. I was on another podcast where I spoke about this one book amongst others, but I picked this one specifically. We talk about, you know, to, to the first point that was raised by Angela and Isabella on panic and anxiety and irrational fear. 
is how to stop wanting and start living by da- by the man Dale Carnegie. It's you know you guys have heard of the book. It's been around forever. It's been on my bookshelf forever, but I started reading it and I've listened to more of it on my on the audiobook. But it's brilliant, right? So if there's one resource I could leave the audience with, it's that book because it's been around so long. Nobody thinks to pick up pick that up. Uh, but so many of the books are spawned off of that one. And uh, it's just a great book. I mean, if you can get past the some of the old-fashioned language in it, because uh, it's not it does it's not rel- modern speak, but it's a classic. I, I think so. We talk about yeah, yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And you actually brought up a really good point because this um, forcing people back to work is causing a whole bunch of anxiety, and it's causing people to actually quit their jobs. Um, but, and then, but you also sit on the other side of the spectrum is that people are getting lonely and they're having anxiety from that. And so a hybrid option, I think is a really good option because people don't mind going in one or two days a week, maybe. Um, and so they get the social interaction, but then they also get to create their own schedule, I guess, on the other days that they're not at work. And so that's also something to consider in a workplace is, you know, what is that doing to people, right? Because it's changed our whole perspective on work-life balance and what we need for ourselves and how triggering going into the office could be. So that's a whole conversation for another day. But I do want to mention it here because of the level of anxiety that that does bring on. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And I also glad that you brought up the resources. So we've talked about kind of what workplaces can do. What personal resources do you have and that you have had or that's worked for you to combat some of your anxiety? So Isabella, I'm going to start with you because you talked about yoga in the beginning. So talk to us about this story. What did it do for you? How did it work? Definitely. So I've been practicing yoga for about 11 years now and I got my um, 200 hour teaching certification last year. But as I had said, I, my anxiety had started in my late teens. And that's when I also started practicing yoga. And it took probably about three years before I started to see the benefits in the sense of um, one, the breathing practices and really physically regulating my nervous system. I felt when my body was calm and that when I was breathing steadily and when I was exercising, you know, doing the, the postures regularly, I felt um, a lot more in control of my thoughts. So, you know, as Angela had said, the, the runaway train, um, I had more energy and more clarity. So I wasn't having as many of those intrusive thoughts as I had before. And then, you know, as I continued practicing, I just found, you know, less and less um, anxiety in my day-to-day life. And as I learned more about the yoga philosophy and really, you know, trusting the process and just the more you realize you're in control um, of not so much in life, one of the only things you are in control of is your breath and what your reaction is. And I've tried to cultivate that into my my daily life and just focus on what I can control. So it's been super beneficial. I love sharing the practice with people. Um, it's nice now. So now I teach um, a beginner series, you know, a few times a year that is for people that have like never even been on a yoga mat. And I'm always reminded of how when I was a beginner, you know, that idea of peace or mindfulness seemed so far off, but it really is a practice because there's always going to be thoughts coming in. And, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, meditate every day for an hour and you won't be anxious because that's not the case, but it's more about realizing that you 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 have to decide how you want to react in some of those situations, especially when it comes to intrusive thoughts. 
I love that. So I, I started going to um, a yoga class, but I'm not like a whole hour type yoga person. Yep. A whole hour I just cannot do. Um, but I found this one where it's um, like, it's not full on yoga, but it's like, it's good. Like it's for like 30 minutes. And then the rest of the, th- the other 30 minutes is about stretching and yep. it's about um, resting and, but they've got like the, the, um, really cool music and then they do yeah. sound ba- bathing and a, di- a variety yep. of different sounds and things like that. And so that's so, my jam. <laughs> yes. And well, that I'm so glad you said that because, you know, when people think of yoga and a lot of people will think of like power yoga or Bikram yoga, or just the, what's called in, in Sanskrit, um, the asana the postures and that's actually only one of the eight limbs when we think about the paths of yoga and a lot and the other limbs are through various types of meditation and self-study and sound healing and chanting and finding all these practices to really better connect with ourselves and have some more self-awareness have a little bit more peace of mind so we can go through our day-to-day life and I think to um through my teacher training we had to do a lot of self-discovery and we went through this book called um the yamas and the niyamas and it's um about the different teachings of yoga and there's a a thinking question for every week of, of the year and it really helps you better understand yourself and I think something huge in overcoming anxiety was better understanding myself what are those triggers why am I having these kind of thoughts why am I so afraid of the unknown you know is it a need to control so that's something that's really come up in my life is I'm such a planner so not being able to know what the next step is or you know if there's any type of change I notice that's when the anxiety will come in but all I can really do is control my reaction to that and try try to keep at peace, you know, because we can't control what's around us. You can really only control you and what's going on in the inside. So that's really helped me. Yeah. Thank you for sharing um, what's worked for you, Angela. Well, first, I'm going to need to ask you many follow up questions after this, <laughs> Isabella, on the other kinds of yoga, because I'm fascinated and I have a list. I have a list of questions now. Awesome. Um, and so much of what you just said certainly resonates. And again, you we have very different paths with and you know what triggers our anxiety and how it presents and all of those things. But for me, I, you said something is understanding the source and what can I control? What can I control? I mean, and, and it's such a silly thing to say, but there are some items that in life we just can't control. So we can prepare to your point, Isabella, and we can do certain things. But mine, my anxiety has been maybe it's it's far different, but in terms of resources or or the how I don't know that that I have it all figured out so I think to your point earlier Sarah it's a journey um I'm on a journey to understand it's 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 little things it's not just one giant box of hey this is what anxiety looks like it's it's an evolution and I think in our personal journeys our professional journeys uh that that it, it kind of can take different shapes along the way and I think that for me from a resource perspective I I choose just to always try to understand the why. Mm-hmm. What is it now? What has happened now that is making this the um, sort of the focus or the the issue, yeah. the area, the item? Learning from it, right? And 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 I think it's trying to incorporate it along the journey. I have to share because this is such an important topic, and it it became really a, a passionate conversation recently, mm-hmm. where somebody else was communicating with me about some anxieties they were experiencing that had taken the form of imposter syndrome, 
which is Mm -hmm. something about which I feel so passionately because I genuinely believe that, that it's a, it's, it's a problem and it's, it's, I I personally think it's kind of rooted in, in a lot of anxiety. And this person had come to me and said, I saw this fact about you. And I heard, I heard this thing about you. And it made me want to ask you this question is how do you not feel this? And I said, what you're describing is imposter syndrome. And I don't know anyone who, who has never felt it. (laughs) I don't know anyone who has never felt it. And it's funny. I felt so prepared to answer that question because I thought I remember when I was in that seat and all of the ways that I had coached myself out of it, I was able to kind of thrust onto this person who was capable and and driven and motivated and just a total rock star, especially in this function. And yet to see them sharing this, it's a very vulnerable thing. But again, it's it's a I to be that mirror for somebody else who needs to hear, mm-hmm. this is what they see in you. This is why you are there. Yeah. And all that that this individual was sharing was. I feel like I'm now on a pedestal and it's a long way to fall down. Yep. And that really struck me thinking to have been placed there. And and so reminding all the reasons why, but again, so from a resourcing perspective, it's that the ability to take how I had maybe gotten through something and to pass it on was the only way that I knew how to, to offer that kind of support. I don't know that there is a there for me, at least it doesn't feel like there's a, a one size fits all every stage of the journey has been very different. And it's just about, I think, navigating and amassing skills. Yeah. And it's a reminder to you when you do that, right? Like just talking about what you've been through and how you got through it and what that looked like and giving that to somebody else and helping that other person gets you out of your anxiety, reminds you of where you've come from, reminds you of what you've gone through and reminds you where you are in this moment and why you're there. Yes. And so that, again, is the importance of sharing and having those conversations and being like, wait a second. Yeah, I can help you because that's going to help me too. <laughs> Suchi, what's your resources? What do you want to share? I know you just read the book, but was is there anything else that you want to I'm add? sorry, was that you? I, the book? Oh, yeah, no. So I love what Isabella said and and a lot, and you know, Angela, all great points, but so simple, but so true, right? Knowing what you can control, the serendipity prayer. Uh, so I, I think that that's really classic, timeless advice, no matter what point of the journey you're in. But yeah, for someone that admittedly has, is, um, I don't get out of my hole. Uh, sometimes I should do that more. But when I don't have the opportunity always to do something like this, I my, my fallback is always just books and audio books. It's mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been a nerd growing up and it's been my solution since I was a kid and continues to be. Uh, so just that, that for me is a great resource. Sometimes even if it's not a book that's supposed to help you in that problem of the moment, just uh, stepping away and, and listening to something and, and reading something. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the one book I shared is great. Again, I was on a, on a podcast, so I had to list out resources. So I might be re- list, listing some of the, the same because it was the same question there uh but of all the stuff I listened to my if I had to list my top favorites are David Goggins books and if you guys have heard of him okay. at all no. uh but he's um in his just how people describe him he's a he's a machine he's a he's a um, a beast right but his life is all about 
physical excellence and pushing yourself to crazy limits, but he's also had a bad life. And it's all about building the muscle of endurance. And when you think you're just given up and it's pushing through and pushing through worries and anxieties and, and panic and just pushing through all the negative to make progress. So mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend his books. And even though he is as different, he's probably the polar opposite of the average of this group, <laughs> but uh, but there's a lot that we could just learn from his books. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I have some to share of my own, obviously talk therapy. I've had a therapist like since I can remember. <laughs> and I think that that's always good straws so you can actually get a straw and if you breathe through a slot a straw it actually slows your breathing down wow i've never heard that one it's that i'm gonna try that i actually bought a necklace that has a short straw on it and so i can put it in my mouth if i'm feeling you know very anxious in that moment and i can breathe through it and it'll um slow down my breathing um box breathing So you inhale for a count of four, you hold it for a count of four, you let it out for a count of four, and you hold that for a count of four. And as you're doing that, you talk about um, the safe space that you're in. Like, I'm safe. You can also list out things in the room that you're in that you recognize so that it brings you back into that moment and into that space um, and reduces the panic. Um, And so those are just a few things that have helped me. I've tried a variety of different things over the years. I love acupuncture gives me anxiety. I can't do acupuncture. So kudos to anybody who can do acupuncture. It just, I can't lie there with needles in my face. Well, I love that you said the box breathing in the straw, because that, you know, in, in the yoga breath practices, what's called the pranayama, which means, you know, our life force, mm-hmm. um, that that's what we're doing. We're by slowing down the breath and the box breathing and regulating the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide, we're able to regulate the parasympathetic nervous system and slow down the heart rate and alleviate some of those symptoms. So it really is a great tool that we have with us all the time. Yeah. Check your cortisol levels. Go and see a naturopath and check your cortisol levels. That um, is definitely something as well. And then the other thing too, is if you're in the middle of a panic attack, um, focus on something. So all if I have a bottle of water or a glass of water, I will focus on that water and picking it up and taking a sip and putting it back down while also listening to what is happening with me, especially if I'm on stage having a conversation. (laughs) I still have to listen to what everybody is saying, but I'm focused on uh, drinking that water. So definitely a few resources that have helped me, not saying that that's going to help everybody else, but just some things to look into. And just remember that like you can try different things and some things are going to work for you and some things aren't going to work for you. It doesn't mean a thing. It just means that you're on your journey to figure out what right for you. So in saying that, what is one thing that you would like somebody listening to this conversation, walking away, maybe thinking about putting into action or thinking about putting into action? So Isabella, I am going to start with you. I think just sharing more, um, you know, myself, even being more willing to talk about some of the times that I might be feeling anxiety and, you know, hoping others can share as well and encouraging them to do so, whether that's in your personal life or your hobbies or work and just being able to have these conversations more so they are less uncomfortable and they're more informative. So that's what I hope. Love um, that. Thank you. Thank you. Angela. I 
I think Isabella, you hit the nail on the head. It's the same for me. It's find your person or your people. Sarah, to your earlier point, the people with whom you share. Oh, my brother-in-law was not the right person, but he was the only person in that moment on the ball field. In the moment, he was the right person. That was family. Then find the people who, (laughs) with whom you can kind of both laugh maybe a little about the circumstances or be vulnerable and seek that input. And because I think that finding your, your person or finding your people who, um, who give you what you need. And in some cases, without you even asking what you need, you know, my very best friend has been my person through this because we are, we have found that we're in the same kind of journey and that by sharing, we've actually kind of navigated it together and understanding what our challenges are, how they're the same, how they're different and how we're, we're navigating them. But I think to your point as well, finding a way to share and getting it out and not trying to, to be so held in by it. I have to take that back about my brother-in-law. So <laughs> usually he would not be the right person, but in that moment, he actually was the best person that I could have asked to sit with me through that moment. Um, cause usually he's obnoxious and loud and I can say that cause he knows. Um, but in that moment he wasn't, he was very focused on me and he took instruction very well <laughs> as to what <laughs> I needed from him. And he just sort of started talking. So I will take that back because he, he was really there for me in that particular moment. <laughs> Suchi, last but not least, what is the one thing you would like people to walk away from this conversation? Yeah, all, all of that, all great points. I'd say being mindful about being present in the moment. Awesome. Yeah, mindful, intentional, being present. And sometimes anxiety takes you out of that present moment. So how does it, how can you bring yourself back, right? What are those triggers? How can you bring yourself back? I think for me, it would be the awareness. Awareness that you are going through it, awareness of what those triggers can be and awareness of, you know, what you need from other people when that moment strikes. So thank you so much to Suchi, Isabella, and Angela for joining me today, as well as having a huge impact on your personal life. Having an anxiety disorder can make a major impact in the workplace. People may turn down a promotion or opportunity because it involves travel or public speaking, make excuses to get out of events or meetings with coworkers, or be unable to meet deadlines. Attempting to hide anxiety and keep going can lead to stress, exhaustion, and burnout. Plus, other mental health conditions. And people are truly suffering in silence. And yet there's so many of us who have experienced exactly the same thing. You know, we're just not talking about it. So if you're suffering or you suspect a friend or colleague might be, I hope you have learned a few things from this episode, perhaps gained some confidence from the authentic stories our panel have shared, and you feel able to take that next step, whatever that might be. Remember, you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything you'd like to add to what we've already talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 36 of Blended. And we're going to be talking all about victimhood. And that's going to potentially be a tricky conversation. People's experiences of being a victim are very different. Some people don't identify with the word victim at all, but it is really something that's a big part of life for many for a variety of different reasons. So it's something we really wanted to dive into on Blended. 
I'll be asking the panel what it means to be a victim, what a victim's perspective looks like, and how we can be allies without pity. This is going to be an important episode on both a personal and professional level, so make sure you don't miss it. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me for Blended today.